And as you're being seated, if you would please turn in your copies of God's Word to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Today we will be finishing up our Christmas series. We've been exploring different aspects of our salvation. We've arrived now here at Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading just two verses today. So Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's go to our God and ask his blessing on our text today. Oh, King Jesus, we thank you for bringing us here to this moment where we can unfold what we see here in your word. So I ask that you would enable our minds to understand and enable our hearts to believe and to obey. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in our Christmas series we've been going through, we've been using Luke chapter 2, verse 11 as something of, a, of an outline for how we've been approaching this. So Luke 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This last phrase, who is Christ the Lord, is where we're going to finish today. But as you may recall, if you were able to join us for all of our sermon series, as we've looked through each of these, we discovered there was something wonderfully good about each one of these phrases in Luke chapter 2. We looked at for unto you, and we realized who, who is the you? Who are we? In a, con- in a culture that questions identity constantly, we saw from God's word that we are a people made in the image of God. And this mysterious quality to us gives us a tremendous dignity that we owe to all people. But as we saw, this image of God has been marred. We know like the, the image of George Washington has been stamped on a coin, but it can be easy to cover that image with dirt and grime and other things to make it harder to see. We saw that's what, exactly what happened to us in Genesis chapter 3. When humanity sinned, we marred that image. We made it harder to reflect the character and nature of God to a watching world. Which was why it was such a beautiful thing that we could see that the Savior would would come. And that he would be born as one of us. We weren't able to fix ourselves. We needed someone to be a substitute for us. We took a look at the mystery of the incarnation of Christ. God somehow... Containing himself fully 100% God, but being fully 100% man at the same time. How that works, we still don't know. I tried, but we still don't know. It's a mystery. And then we continued on and we found out that this incarnation is not just some myth. But indeed, as just as the angel said, that he was born this day. 
There was a real date on the calendar in a real city where our Savior was born. As opposed to the speakings of the internet that Jesus is just some sort of adaption to pagan myths, like, his, uh, like Jesus is some sort of ripoff of Mithras, who was supposedly also born of a virgin on December 25th. By the way, Mithras was not born on December 25th from a virgin. He was born from a rock as a fully born man. But, so, don't get your ancient history from TikTok, I think is the, the takeaway from this. We see that Jesus is a real person. He's a real figure. And we saw that that was important. It wasn't just the fact that we have a nice story to make us obey. As we found out that Jesus is not, as we heard from our resident theologian, Bob Inc., that Jesus is not a good teacher, he's not a founder, but he's the content of Christianity. So he has to exist for Christianity to be real because we need a savior, which is what we saw. He was a savior for us. We could not fix ourselves, but we needed someone to rescue us. And that's exactly what we see here at Christmas. Jesus has come, born as a little baby, lived a fully human life, lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that we should have died, rose again to ascend into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, praying for us even now. So now what? This is all the gospel information. But what are you going to do with it? When the tinsel comes down, when the tree gets put away, when all the wrapping paper is gone, and the glitter is finally vacuumed up from the carpet, (laughs) what are you going to do with Jesus? Is Jesus going to make a difference to you beyond today? Well, that's what we're going to look at now. And that's where we get to our final phrase, where it says that a Savior is born unto us who is Christ the Lord or the King. What does it mean that Jesus is Christ the Lord? Well, we will explore mostly the Lord, but we would be remiss to leave off Christ. There's a common misconception that Christ is somehow Jesus' last name. They didn't have those last names. Christ is a title. That's why oftentimes people will say Jesus the Christ. What Christ is is just a translation of the term Messiah into Greek, Christos. What it means is Messiah means promised one. So all the way from the beginning, this is the one that was promised to us. He's more than a savior. He's also a Lord. So how does this Lord want us to live? Now, as we go through all of this, I want to, and I'm going to emphasize this many times throughout, because I hope this gets into your minds. What we're going to talk about now is not the way that we attain salvation. It's like, okay, Jesus wants me to live a good life. All right, so I'm going to live a good life and I'm going to impress Jesus with my works. No, that's not how it works. Jesus did all the work. He is the only reason why you are going to heaven. It's not anything to do with you. Now, an encounter with Jesus Christ 
is going to transform your life. And too often, we are so easily satisfied with where we are spiritually. We're so easily pleased with the things that we do. And there is so much more that we could be had. I was reading a book. Uh, it was a wonderful volume. I commend it to you. It's an uh, Anglican preacher from 100 some years ago. His name was J.C. Ryle. He wrote a wonderful book on holiness. And one of the things that he wrote in that book, he says, so many times people will look at other Christians that are doing wonderful things for the Lord, and they just assume that, well, that is something that they have. The Lord has specially gifted them. There is no way I can make an impact for the kingdom like that, so I'll just be satisfied to stay here. And that's a mistake. There is nothing special about that Christian in and of themselves. It's not their personality or their raising. But it's their Lord. They've got the same Holy Spirit in them that you do. The question is, are they feeding on him? Are they taking advantage of the means of grace that Jesus has given to you to transform you and to make you new? So we're going to see how that works. On the back of your bulletin, I've got two points pulled out from these two verses from Romans 12. Answering the question, well, now what? First is to live by giving up your life. Live by giving up your life. And then the second is to be conformed into a nonconformist. Being conformed into a nonconformist. Let's take a look at how it is that Paul brings this to us. He begins by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, it would have meant both, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is he getting at here? What's the deal about presenting a living sacrifice? Well, first of all, what does the word sacrifice bring to mind? Probably thinking the Old Testament, right? The opportunity when the people sinned, they'd bring a lamb or a goat or a pigeon or something that the priest would then kill in front of the person. And then offer it up as a burnt offering. What this was meant to do is to say, my sin needs to cause a death. But God's merciful, so instead of killing me, I'm going to offer up this animal in my place. But now, sacrifices are over. You all didn't bring a sheep today with you into church. Because Jesus has provided that sacrifice. So now what do we do? Now he says that we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. Something that is given to God. So what does it mean then to give up our bodies as a sacrifice? How do we do that? Well, there is an an ancient preacher from about the years 3 to 400. His name was John Chrysostom. I recommend him. He put it this way. And how is the body, it may be said, to become a sacrifice? says, let the eye look on no evil thing, and it's become a sacrifice. Don't let your tongue speak anything filthy, and it has become an offering. Let your hand do no lawless deed, and it has become a whole burnt offering. What is he saying? A sacrifice was something that you gave to God, which meant you weren't going to use it for your purposes anymore. If you gave up a sheep, you weren't going to use that one anymore. That's been offered up fully to God. 
So now, what do we do with our bodies? We offer them up to God's purposes. Now these eyes are meant to behold things that make us more like Jesus. Read our words to see other people that need help. That's what we use our eyes for. Not to scroll into things we shouldn't be looking at on the internet. How are we supposed to use our tongues? Not to feast on the delicious gossip of the various friends that we have. But it's meant to spread and to give good news. What are our hands supposed to do? Given over to God's purposes. This is what Paul means by a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. Is giving it up for his purposes. That's why he says, this is your spiritual worship. Now, some translations have different wording for this. Some of you may have uh, memorized this as reasonable service. And the sum of it is because the, the Greek that's there, the word that Paul uses is somewhat rare. It's difficult to translate. But if, well, I found one commentator that I think hit it perfectly. That what this is meant to be is it's meant to be your true worship. Whether it was reasonable or spiritual, that word meant something from the inner person. A deep giving of yourself. And that's why the ESV translates it spiritual worship. Because that's what it is. Showing up and singing at church is a wonderful thing. But worship should be done beyond just today. And it's the hard worship of living what we're singing and reading and praying here. That's what Romans 12.1 is getting at. It's living by giving up your life for your own purposes. So what does this look like? Well, this continues in verse 2. As we get to our point 2, which just says to be conformed into a nonconformist. Or here, to be transformed into a nonconformist. Here, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is Paul saying here? To be conformed into something means to be like poured into a mold and to take on its shape. We are always being molded into something. This is especially true if you think you're not. Because we are always being shaped by what we read, by what we see, by what we hear. And it's very subtle. But it's always happening. There is no neutral moment in your life. You're always being shaped by something. So he says, don't be conformed to this world. Or another way that we could translate it is to not be conformed to this age, which is what we see here in that. I actually prefer the translation age because I think it, because I think it encapsulates this thing where it's the, the thought processes of our time. Because those things are so trivial. When we tend to think of world, we tend to think of secular versus sacred. And we think it's like, well, you know, it's like I got bills, I got a house to take care of. It's like, that's fine. We have to take care of the things that are in our world. But don't be conformed to the thinking of these, of how you approach those physical goods. The world says you got to have the biggest, 
most updated house, preferably the biggest one in your neighborhood. That's being conformed. I was like, well, love is love. And something that should be whoever it is that you want it to be, whatever shape or form that takes. That's being conformed. Everything that we do in our lives or think has to be biblically informed. So as you are thinking and speaking with your friends or with or even just in your own mind and you come across something, you say, oh, yes, of course, that's true. Ask yourself, where does that come from? Can you pull that out of Scripture? Either directly or by saying it's like, well, it's a logical inference from this verse and this verse that we have that. If you can't do that here from from the Scripture, then you're probably incorrect. It's very easy to do. So how does this transforming happen? Notice that it says to be transformed. This isn't something that you can do of your your own accord. This is something that is happening to you. By the Holy Spirit. He is the one that reveals those things that are in your heart that need to be peeled back. This is being done by the renewal of your mind. Something that happens constantly. How do we renew our mind? It's from here. It's from his word. It's in prayer. Your mind needs constant renewal. So if we're not moving forward, we're coasting backwards. This is what he calls to us. And if we do that, the second half of this verse, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you like to know what the will of God is for you? It's right here. We tend to think that God's will is some sort of cosmic shell game that we got to figure out. God keeps moving the cups around as to where you're supposed to live, who you're supposed to marry, how you're supposed to retire, all these sorts of things. And we make it far more complicated than it needs to be. Most of the time, we're not told how we're supposed to live our lives five years from now. But I do know how we're supposed to live our lives five minutes from now. One of being transformed by God's word, staying dependent on him through prayer. Constantly looking to his word and prayer for, our, for his wisdom for our lives. And as one preacher put it, if you are saved, sanctified, spirit-filled, and willing to suffer, you can do whatever you want. As long as you're in obedience to Jesus. That's what he's looking for. That's what a transformed life is like. And brothers and sisters, this is the expectation. This isn't the exception. This is the expectation that our lives will be transformed. Is it instantaneous? No. Is it always just one constant straight line upwards? No. It's up and down and up and down. I used to say it was like a stock graph, but now they all just go downward. But the general trend is transformation. Because look who you've encountered. How on earth can we say that we have had an encounter with God, the Holy Spirit lives within us, but it makes no discernible difference in our lives? That's crazy talk. What this is going to do is transform you into someone who is different. 
transform you into someone that God wants you to be. And too often, we spend our time looking at other Christians and assume that they are the standard. And as long as we're kind of in general keeping up with those that are around us, then we're probably doing okay. The standard here is the Bible. The standard here is God's standard for you. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. It's what does God want you to do in your life? What does your obedience look like? That's what he's called you to do. That's the now what. Unless you think that this means then a call to a life of dreariness and anxiety about how it is that we're supposed to live our lives and am I doing enough and is God pleased with me? The answer is yes, because it's Jesus who's done the work. So we can drop the anxiety portion. But what we can strive forward to is joy. Have you ever noticed that the happiest people seem to be those that are walking the closest with God? For those of you that know Milt Hurston, that's a man who walks very closely with God. And he's one of the happiest souls that I've ever seen. The life that God is calling you to is not some life of dreariness, but a life of deep joy. So will you take it? Is this going to be something that is going to become a priority for you in your life? It is a decision every day that you make. And one that's very easy to slip on and to decide, well, I'll work on some sanctification tomorrow. This is a process that, yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who's transforming you. But he is working with you. You actually do have a part to play in the sanctification part of your life. Jesus has done all the work in your justification. He's the one who's cleared the, cleared the record. But how much you change, it's how much you use the means of grace. It's wonderful to see everybody here today. This is how we're changed, by being under the preaching of the word. I hope that you spend some time looking into God's word for you today, to study that and to see how it applies to your life. That's how you're changed. Hope you spend some time in prayer today because that's how we're changed. We're reminded about how dependent we are on our Lord and Savior. So what's our takeaway? What's our now what? Well, Jesus has given you an incredible gift. He's given you salvation, eternal life in heaven forever. Promises to save you from your sin. What's great is he'll let you open up the gift a little early. You can start with that transformation right now. We look forward to heaven because that's going to be the time in which we'll be completely free of all of our sin. No more pride, no more lying, no more laziness. None of those things that hold us back. Would you like to get a little sneak peek of that now? It's available to you. The Lord is, gets to bring a little bit of the coming world right here into your heart. That can start today. It's another gift 
for Christmas. Now, if you're saying, well, I don't know if I know Jesus at all. Because I've been going to this church for a long time, or I've been a Christian for many years, and I don't see this transformation at all. Well, then if you're not a Christian, then this is a wonderful day to come to him. To recognize that you need a Savior. Yes, you are still sinful. You need a Savior. So turn from your sin. Trust in him with your life like you would a parachute. You don't need a co-pilot. Your plane is crashing. You need a parachute. Jump out and rest in the Savior. Turn from your sins and follow after him. And if you need some help with that, nothing would thrill me more than to talk to you after the service. We can get this straightened out. This is the gift that God gives to you, and I hope you'll take it. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you so much for this time that we've gotten to look into your word. I pray that you would help us to know that we are following after you. I pray that you would give us an opportunity to examine our hearts today, to see if we are taking as full advantage of this gift that you've given to us. And I pray for each and every person who's here and ask that they would know you as Savior and as Lord, that they would trust you and be transformed by you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.